This episode of The Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by the Craftsbury Outdoor Center in Craftsbury, Vermont. With the vagaries of weather in the Northeast, big nor'easters or not, Craftsbury will have you covered this season with snow. On those thin snow days, they offer skiing on a man-made loop where two Ks are currently available. Know before you go, if you're not staying at Craftsbury, you will need to make a day-use reservation and rent a bib to access the man-made loop. When snow flies and coverage is good, you can ski through farms, fields, and forests on their 105 kilometers of meticulously groomed trails. Reservations are required for day use of the trail system too. You can find up-to-date information on the Craftsbury Outdoor Center's ski scene at craftsbury.com backslash winter ops. This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to The Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. In this episode, we have a guest, Nat Hertz, who is a former Faster Skier staff member who ran the show pretty much and is now a journalist in Anchorage, Alaska, working for Alaska Public Media. He also worked for the Anchorage Daily News for several years. We discuss along with Devin stage three of the tour to ski, which was an exciting day for US ski fans. And you'll get to that later in the episode. But we begin the podcast discussing an email we received shortly before recording today's podcast. A couple of things that we had emails that came in today, one from Daphne, who's oh. super salty at us. I love it though. I Jeff Spicoli. Do you guys both know who Jeff Spicoli is? You know what? I had to Google it. I really had to. Google Are you kidding it. me? Yeah, I'm old. I'm old, Jason. But I didn't. I'm not that old. I when I saw when I saw Sean Penn with that sick mullet, I'm like, dude, I've never seen He's that. An before iconic, iconic. Apparently, yes. Apparently, um, I, I haven't. I haven't actually seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but I um, I am aware of the Spicoli character for what it's worth. Okay, so. What I'd like to do is when we get to that piece, and maybe we'll include all this, and it'll be—I I don't know. Now I'm going to let you have a little create. Yeah, I'm going to let you have some creative with license with this. Do you guys want to start with that? With the sure, sure, yeah, sure. Well, we let's start with the salty email because you know what? We love feedback, good, bad, and the ugly. I love it. And okay. I want to just come right out and answer it. Some well, do people, you want to preface? Give us a little idea sure, of what this people, email said. Well, there was an email. Here's the long and short of it. I'm too hard on the Swedish men. I'm not hard enough on the American men. And then there was references from like 70s movies. So that was it in the 70s or early 80s? 80s. Early 80s. I, I was born in 82. Regardless. So that that that's that's the that's the short end of the of the of the email. But here's what I will say about the Swedish men. One, I raced against the some of the biggest heroes in Swedish skiing, not the biggest heroes. I mean, you still have Thomas Vosberg, you have Gundis Vaughn, you have a lot of, you know, you have Matthias Fredriksson when he was at the peak of his capabilities. I wasn't on the world cup when he won the overall world cup. So, so they have a storied history and it's just a sad state of affairs that I reign like in my own head, the Swedish men's cross country ski program since Nordic skiing began on the international scene 
you know, we have to remember that cross country skiing was, was with the first winter Olympics. So it's been, it's been, it's been from the start with the winter Olympics and Sweden has been dominant right up there with Norway and Russia since the beginning on the men's side. And now we're trying to find something good here by having like, well, Cali did pretty good. He was 21st. It's like, dude, Helner beast, Olsen beast, Sodegren beast. A lot of those guys are my friends and definitely were my friends during my, my long career. We had similar length career. I didn't have the results those guys did, but I raced against them a lot. And, and now to see the state of the Swedish men's program, especially when you see how great the Swedish women's program are, it's just, it's, it's head scratching to me because I don't understand how you fall that far when you are no question, one of the top three ski nations on earth for the last 80 plus years. And then it just falls to nothing. I mean, I might add, so I mean, I, the, I think the gist of the email too was basically like the US men are sort of in the basement too and how come you aren't trashing them? And I mean, my observation is like, you know, we're talking about, I, I don't think anyone would argue that like the US men are, are you know, having a, a banner season, um, but I, I think like the, the other sort of really salient point here is like, you know, we're not talking about two teams like coming from the same place, like Sweden, right. like the amount of like resources, money, however you want to frame it, that they're able to put towards oh, cross coaching staff expertise, like everything. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, you know, we've got like the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Norwegians and the Swedes. And then like, I don't know, like the Americans are like the Detroit Tigers or something like or their money. That ball, is funny. Yeah, I was thinking. Of the Not same even. thing, of a baseball analogy, exactly. So our expectations for Sweden are higher. Oh, very high. And, and for good reason, because the coaching staff is very smart. Like you said, Nate, Nat, sorry, God, they have, uh, they have great, they have great funding. They have a great program. They have great waxers. They, ha they, they have everything in place to succeed. They're just missing the bodies right now. And it's just strange that it's happened because their succession planning has always been there. You know, after Matthias Fredriksson got a little older and wasn't skiing as fast, guess what? Sodegren was right there filling the shoes. After Sodegren starts getting a little older and just can't keep up that pace, you got Helner in there, you got Olsen in there. And you have the succession plan, like when Helner, when Helner leaves, oh, what happened? There's Callie. And, you know, I, I joke around about Callie just because he just says the most outrageous things he has in the past. He's really shut up lately. But he's just said the most outrageous things. And maybe people in the U.S. or Canada aren't catching that because he's saying it in Swedish, of course. And then the Norwegian media, it plays big time here because the whole Norwegian versus Sweden thing is, is a real is a, is, it's a real thing today. I have a funny story about that later today. Um, but um, to illustrate, my, I'll just say it right now. So I, I went ski touring today. And, oh, yes. The, and yes, and it was great, by the way. But I... Um, on the way on the way out to the mountains it was really cold it was clear today here in this part of the world cold and clear beautiful day but my friend who i was heading out to the mountains with his car the heater wasn't working so it was just blowing cold air and it was like it was minus 20 when we left at, at six in the morning so i'm like dude like we got to do something about this he's like yeah i'm trying to take you to the shop i don't know why they can't figure it out it's like no okay but well, we need to do something and i'm like Here's the tried, tested, and true method. Let's stop for a pee, turn the car off, turn it back on, and see if it works. And, and my friend that I was heading out to, uh, it's my neighbor who I were heading out to, to, to ski tour. He, he looks at me, he's like, 
oh, you mean the Svenska metoden, which just means the Swedish method. <laughs> so then he had a good chuckle. It's like, that's the Swedish method. You know, when something doesn't work, don't try and figure what, out what it is. Just turn it <laughs> off and restart it. <laughs> so so th- there's, no, there's no love lost between those two countries, but they do it with uh, really tongue in cheek. But, but the fact of the matter is you guys are totally right. Sweden is the, well, the Yankees probably are in Norway, sadly, and I'm, I'm not a Yankees fan, but you know, they are the storied franchise, but Sweden is right up there. They're the Red Sox for sure. And they're, they're just not delivering. And if we want to get in a little bit to the American men and I, cause I do want to answer this and I want you guys to weigh in on this. You want to know why I'm not chirping the American distance men so hard right now. I'll tell you one thing and two reasons why back to back world junior relay champions in the men's field. So to say that they're not performing on the world cup right now, that there's no question in distance. They're not, they're far from good enough. But when you win the men's relay at world juniors two years in a row, you have guys in the pipeline that aren't just good. They have a potential that the U S distance scheme has not seen probably since like the bill Coke era. I'm not saying that's going to translate into senior results. Who knows? But back-to-back world junior gold in the relay is a that is a crazy stat even though world juniors doesn't mean the b isn't the be all end all especially with senior racing but what do you guys think about that like i think those guys are beasts back there so let me take let me interrupt for 30 seconds here because i i don't think we did this which is fine because sometimes we have lots of non sequiturs and we'll get to we'll we'll answer this question nat give us your brief bio (laughs) Um, I, I'm like a, I'm like a retired cross country ski journalist and, um, you know, dude that watches ski races 12 hours after they happen from Alaska, um, who also has, uh, I also work in public radio now. So I added benefit of being able to record and, and edit a, a podcast here. And you're an, you're an intellectual asset here. <laughs> you're you're going to do more than quote. I'm going to quote the. It says Spicoli journalism in quotes here. It does um, say that. Maybe your 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 words, not mine. Um, well, I can so also I'm say I, uh, I I had the unique privilege of uh, interviewing Devin many times. Uh, you know, about a decade ago, when he was an athlete, and and I will say that um, you know, for better or worse, uh, you know, Devin. Uh, Devin gave us a lot to work with. He was uh, he was a little more reflective than uh, than Alex Harvey. Um, oh, shots oh, fired! Shots I, fired. I will say this: I'm gonna I am gonna sing your praise a little bit to Devin, and then we're gonna answer this question. You you probably I remember this distinctly. My feet were freezing in Pyeongchang. You were about to retire, and you took the time to actually thank us for what we do. Um, but I mean which I, that. No, I, I, I do thank I know. you guys for what you do. But just to, I, it resonated with me. I was like, oh, I, again, I didn't, I don't know you, but I was like, that guy's a good guy. Like he took the time to, obviously it's a niche sport um, and it was also really cold. So anyway, I do appreciate that as well. I, I was, well, I was coming more, more I, I was coming more from the angle of like, you know, I kind of felt like whenever Devin came through the mixed zone, it was almost like therapy where he was like processing his oh, for sure. race results, <laughs> oh, totally. whether they were, whether they were good or bad. Um, so yeah, always. A- well, thanks guys. Well, you know what I, you know, I did try to pride myself on talking to the media after just 
shitting the bed <laughs> also because I think it's too easy in cross-country skiing that's a pet peeve of mine that like you know winners will stop and and tell you everything all about their kids and what's happening and their grandma and the whole deal and then when they have a bad race they're just like running through the mix zone and then like you always have that's like then they went straight out into the woods and we never saw them again or they run into a car and like leave if they're Norwegian and they like leave the venue and then that's on the sports news like come on you know LeBron James when he bombs you know what he still has to answer to it because he's a professional and and uh, I think I think all athletes can learn from that I know we're disappointed sometimes when you just bomb races and that's no fun but you know you're still a professional athlete and um there are lessons in there for the fans. It, there is. And you, it, in each sport or not, I mean, it, it, it makes for a better story, honestly. So. Okay. You know. So, um, well, but getting back to the question. men. Yeah. So getting back to the American men, like, well, here's let me jump in thing. here for a second. Okay, please let, do. Yeah. So, so, and then uh, you, you fill in, um, after, you know, the bottom line is like you mentioned, Devin, it has to translate. I mean, obviously those are very notable results. Um, you know, winning relays, uh, Gus Schumacher winning an individual race at Junior Worlds last year. Um, again, notable results. I think what to validate, it, it needs to translate or manifest, you know, with repeated, consistent, you know, top 15s, top fives, top 10s, what have you on, on the World Cup kind of day-to-day grinding. So I think until that happens, we're probably going to get emails like this um that we're being too soft or we're not drilling down hard enough but that's sort of my take until it's a regular feed of podiums or top tens or or top fives just like the women we're going to hear about this well so here's my observation which is you know i think again it's like very appropriate to like put this in context which is i mean you know i don't think anyone would make the argument that like the american men right now are like you know, should be contending or are contending or anywhere close to like the podium on the World Cup. I mean, I think that the important thing to remember about the U.S. ski team, and and this is like a thing I I think some people or many people will like ding the U.S. ski team for is like, um, you know, they're not investing any money in like people who are supposed to be podium contenders right now, like with the on the men's side, with the exception of like, I just pulled up the the team roster like Simi Hamilton is the only man on the U.S. ski team A team like I, I think the U.S. ski team has like a long history of like being ruthless with their decision making around like where do we invest in the pipeline and I think you know for better or worse and there are there are arguments that you know this is problematic but there are also arguments that this is the only way to run a program if you're resource limited in the way that the U.S. ski team is limited, like, they they just, like, they do not put money into people, like, over 25 um, that basically, like, you know, aren't on the trajectory of, like, a Gus Schumacher or, you know, I don't know what the, you know, maybe, like, a, a um, Haley Swerble on the women's side. It's just, like, they are, this is sort of a conscious choice, and I think if you asked the, the coaches and the administration of the U.S. ski team, like, what we should have expected from the U.S. men on the circuit this year, it's, I, I, you know, I don't think they would have said expect great things, expect us to be contending for the podium. Whereas I think with a team like Sweden, that's sort of an expectation. I, you know, I don't know what you guys it think should be. That. And it is. No, it is. And it is an expectation. It is with Sweden. Just to clarify, and I should know this off the top of my head and I, I do not. I apologize. 
Um, and I can hear Chris Grover right now probably saying this, that the B team gets equal funding. God, I hope I, I could be misstating that, but I think at this point, yeah, I'm not hundred percent sure. So I, I think with travel, I think with travel, that's where, that's where there is, there is definitely some discrepancies with travel because with, with the U S and in Canada, um, some trips, if you're not on the A team, you have to cover some costs. And as a North American athlete, the travel can really, really, uh, start to add up. But the thing is, is the NNF and the programming behind that, um, does such a great job. It, it started as a stopgap, but now, I mean, through the past few years, not just few years, the, the past number of years, NNF has, has been able to fund a lot of, a lot of those B team athletes that, that have been able to go over and race the world cup and also, and also race at world juniors because those could those or under 23s those trips also cost a lot of money especially for north american athletes so no you know what they're good we're we're gonna make a good old comeback here uh, after the tour de ski is over so um with lati and falun and those races that are coming up uh all song uh, they're going to, the Canadians will be back, back in action. And we're going to take, take over a fairly, a fairly significant size team actually. So there'll be six men and, and five women that will come. And, and the reason why we didn't come, yes, it is. It has a lot to do with the pandemic. Um, there was a group of athletes, a number of athletes that were pegged to go to the world cup and start the world cup that, um, traveled to Camore, um, from a region in Canada that was, very in a very bad state of affairs as far as COVID numbers. And um, in Camor, the entire group tested positive for coronavirus. And some of the, some of the staff there were also wax technicians for Canada. And they were all supposed to leave in, in within the week over to race in, in, um, in Finland, in Ruka. And what are you going to do? You have athletes now that have tested positive uh, you have a couple staff that that can't travel, no question, and they had to make a hasty decision that there's absolutely zero chance we're we're getting on a plane here in six days and flying a whole contingent over here when when a number of people are are positive for coronavirus and other ones have been close contacts with them and have to go through a quarantine process and everything. So, and then in the end, instead of just like waiting to see and then scrambling to get other staff involved they just looked at the situation and said like you know what we just don't feel comfortable in in sending sending a full team especially after dealing with that i mean when a whole team you know over a dozen athletes test positive for coronavirus plus some staff are involved in this um, that also also help out the national team internationally i mean uh, i think it was a great decision by by Nordic Canada. And I mean, I know, understand coaches can be upset and, and, you know, like shake their fist and go like, Oh, but people are in good shape, but it is a pandemic. And that's a serious wake up call right there. You know, when a number of athletes test positive. So, you know what, it, it was a super bummer, but you know, mistakes, mistakes were probably made to, to even travel uh, within Canada at that time. And then of course, everything looks, everything looks clear with hindsight. Right. But um, you know, that the decisions, the decisions people make in a pandemic to come out for a training camp. Um, you know, the, the collateral damage is that there's no way a team can, can travel to the world cup on such short notice after, after a disaster like that. Okay. Let me throw this out there and then we can, we can get to 
um, today's racing and uh, what happens if there, it does not translate, right? I mean, again, you, if you're using, you know, like you were at those junior worlds and I know you sing the praises of those guys. And and, and Jason, sorry to cut, continue. Sorry. I love cutting people off. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) You're all good. But yeah. What happens if it doesn't translate? Like, is there a cleaning of the house? I mean, we don't see that, you know, in the U S ski team, right. It's a pretty steady state in terms of management or has been. And gosh, you look at, this is the time of year where, you know, I, I don't really watch football, but you, you note that heads roll in college football, right? And of course, uh, yeah. So I'm just curious, like what what should or what should not be the expectation, say five years out from now? Well, I think I think what I would hope could happen, and the reason why I sing the praises so much of these young guns for the U.S. And you're right, I have been. I've been at World Juniors working the last few times. And I'm, I'm even getting like, I'm getting pins and needles right now. Like I'm getting goosebumps thinking back to this race. Okay. The relay last year, it was in Germany, nasty weather, snowing, windy. Luke Jaeger, classic first leg. I'm like, okay, he's going to, he's going to race this kind of smart and like just sit in at least for the first lap. And like, this is no time to be a hero. You know, like this is not good classic conditions, especially not off the front. He does not care. He rips the legs off every single one of those athletes, drops the field, skis it out alone, like all big in style, like just charging and, and comes in with this epic lead into the second exchange. And like, that's all she wrote. So, so seeing the way these guys are skiing in, in high pressure situations, like, I don't think the U S has seen a lot of that style of racing before from in the distance side of things. They really haven't. I mean, you got to go back to really, you got to go back to Chris Freeman 2003 to have that kind of swagger in distance races. And you know, Carl Swenson too. Like, I mean, Ooh, there was yeah. some serious, there was some serious swagger there. I mean, when he finished fifth at the world championships in, in 2003, people forget that he fell, broke a pole and it was individual start 50 K back then. And you know what? We can say what we want. Like I say all the time, if you fall, like you got to keep, you got to keep the skis on the snow if you want to get a podium. And that's, that's the deal. And, that's Kruger. And, and, and yeah, exactly. And, and, but yeah, exactly. Came back. Uh, but, but Swenson too. I mean, like, yeah, broken pole or not. The fact of the matter is the guy finished fifth in the, in the 50 K. He but, didn't get a podium, but, even but it was then, a bold like, way to do it. Th- there was still like, I mean, I, I feel like there's a difference in that, like t- at that time, like the U S did not have sort of like a coherent development program, development strategy. And now it's like, you know, they have four guys plus that can put together plus. a race like that. They're all on the development team. It's like, there's yeah, and how they're program. doing it totally. And fish is doing a great job leading that. And it's not just fish that's doing that. I mean, you have, you have, you know, you, you don't, don't kid yourself. Like Whitcomb's involved. Grover's involved, like it's a like Cork's involved, like it's all hands on deck. These programs, like the U.S. and Canada, they're and not Florida. these. Florida, well, yeah, of course, Florida. I mean, she's the club coach of the century for the U.S. I mean, uh, we'll get to Rosie Brandon. That was awesome, but um, but I'm just saying, you have you have a number of coaches, and it's an all hands on deck thing, and it's how they're racing. It's how these young guns are racing, and yeah, will it translate? Who knows? It's hard to say. But I like what I see. And I think, 
I think it's too easy for, for um, armchair critics back home in Canada or the U S to look at the U S men's distance program and be like more of the same, more of the same, but you're not out there following the junior races. You're not seeing how these guys are racing uh, at, at within their age group. And you know what? the cream rises to the top. And if, if all those guys are skiing with such swagger uh, at world juniors and in their junior races in the U S I mean, you've got to think that some, someone is going to break through and it is doable. Freeman, you've got to remember too, man. Like I talked about Swenson, but Freeman has two fourth place finishes at the yeah. world senior championships, one in 2003. And then six years later, you know, in 2009 and it can be said, I mean, you can talk all day, but you know, in 2009, he was beaten by dopers. That's, yeah. that's a given. And the statute I mean, of limitations has run out. No, but, that. no but exactly. Bummer. I've been beaten by dopers all over, all over the place too. And it's annoying. So there's no point harping down on that. But the fact of the matter is like these races being fourth in the individual start 15 K twice, that is an extremely high level. Uh, it's, it's an incredible level Swenson coming fifth in the 50 K in 2003. Like this is a high level and you're right. There hasn't been a program in place for the senior men in the U S for, for a long time, a coherent program, but it also stems from some of the athletes. Like you were saying that, that like um, some of the athletes too. I mean, like they didn't really get along. They didn't really want to work together. Everyone's on their own plan. They all thought they were knew what they were doing. And, and that's a really hard way to build to build momentum yet these next generation, they are working together and they do believe in the cause and, and uh, it's a totally different situation. So I think, I think there are, there is good things. And then one last thing before we just get to the races, like we've got to talk about this. Like, the sprinters have been good mm-hmm. through this whole thing, not consistently good as they should be like Simi is good enough to be consistently good. And I can't answer you. He's a friend of mine too. And I can't answer you why he's not consistent week in, week out, every time there's a skate sprint, like he should be. I mean, I can't, I can't also can't answer you why the last few years of my career were just a pile of hot garbage. Uh, the, cross country skiing is a tough, tough, tough sport to figure out, but uh, Bolger, man, he skied into the final this year. Let's get stoked about that. Like let's sing some praises, you know, and you have some of these really young guys like Schumacher and stuff, Shoemaker, whatever. <laughs> we, we, we got Schumacher and Schoenmaker. Yeah. Schoenmaker. Do we have that right? Do we have that yeah. right now? Yeah. Scott Not Schumacher, uh, don't forget. Schoonmaker. Okay. It's Schoonmaker. Uh, no, I don't know. It's either, okay. I mean, there's definitely an N in there. So it's either a hard C or a soft C. We need to get his mom on the podcast. Yeah, we got to get his mom on the podcast. The fact of the matter is he's 20 or 21 and he's skiing into the points. Gus, Schumacher, Gus Schumacher will break through. Okay. He will. And it's a tough road to come over there as a first year senior and start launching into the world cup during a pandemic, the whole deal. I mean, he, yeah, he's, is he racing up to his expectations? No, he's not yet. He hasn't, but who cares? Like I, I'm no part of me uh, thinks he won't. I mean, I just, I keep saying uh, William Porama of Sweden, who's been like the leader of the Swedish team as a first year senior as well, who has raced into the top 20 a couple times this season. I mean, he, Gus is, is on paper, throughout his junior career as good or better than him. So the good things will come of, of Schumacher, but we have to also have some patience for these young guys. It's a, people don't get it either, man. Like packing your bag and leaving your home as a North American and traveling over to Europe to be like, see ya in like a couple months. 
this isn't normal. This isn't what the Swedes do. It's not what the Norwegians do. It's not what, what any other teams in the World Cup do, except for Canada, Norway, and then, of course, Russia. So it takes a bit of time to just figure it out and get, and get comfortable with, like, okay, crap, like, this is my life. You know, you know what I, I mean? I have, like, to, I have to wash my underwear in the, in the sink t- twice a week. Yeah, dude, that, totally. Like you're doing stuff like that. Sink laundry is a thing. God, I hated sink laundry. And, and I think people, people just don't get that. You know what I mean? So, so it does take some time sometimes, you know, Alex Harvey, he can bust through and get a podium as a first year senior. Jesse Diggins had some great results when she was a young senior um, right out of the gun. Um, But Chandra Crawford, of course, I mean, she's Olympic champion as a 22 year old. So you have, you have people that can do it, but there, it is, um, it, it isn't easy for everyone. Okay, so before we get, I, I, let's be diplomatic here, folks. We obviously have a lot of great things to talk about on the women's side, which I think will take more of our remaining time. So why don't we talk a little bit about the guys' race first? Does that work? Yeah. Or do you want to jump? Well, I, yeah, that's only one vote. Yeah, Anyone else? I'm, I'm good with that. Okay, so I want to lead with this because Devin and I um, – both spoke about this yesterday, that Shervakin, who was the person who uh, took out Bailoff, was evidently, I looked, you know, I think I double checked during the podcast. I'm like, it says DQ'd. And uh, I think he raced today. Anyone see that? I didn't see him out there, but I mean, I... Well, we got it. So this is another, we've gotten another email slash like Facebook comment uh, and Gavin who writes for us, who's based up in Anchorage um, had just a, 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 uh, an amicable uh, back and forth with this reader talking about, Oh, he he raced. Anyone? He did race. Yeah, no, he did race. I'm just, I got the results pulled up now and we of course didn't get any TV time because he finished in 48th because he finished in 48th. Um, So there must've been a backroom deal. There must have been some backroom deal, which I think is is unfortunate because the guy should have been thrown out. He should have been thrown out of the race. Um, that was ridiculous. So, okay. well, I just wanted to lead with that. So he did end up racing, and um, yeah, and at forty eighth, he's a great skier. He's is um, he's, he's a total beast out there on the tracks. But after after that little display yesterday, not just on not just off the track, right? But like standing there at the apex of like the, the only hard corner of the whole course. Honestly, it was a great moment to watch these dudes just like standing there yelling at each other while like the entire race is going past them. Like they don't even care anymore. Exactly. Like people are going mock Schnell, you know what I mean? Past them. I mean, you could have had a serious collision and had some big problems. So the guy should have been thrown out of the race, not just DQ'd. And that, that, that's nothing against how he is as a, as a ski racer, I mean, he's a, he's a good ski racer. He's proven that in the past. He has great technique and he's a real talent, but, but uh, you can't act like that in, in professional skiing. So, okay. Yeah, go ahead, Nate. Well, I, nah, I, sorry. <laughs> I, I just wanted to kind of throw it out there. I mean, I, you know, Jason, we were kind of texting about this before we started recording, but I was like, you know, I got to watch this race and I, I'm not, hope I'm not throwing you under the bus here where you were like, yeah, yawner. And, and I'm just like, I, I, my question, if I were sort of leading this off would be like, give me a reason that I really even like should have, I mean, I did watch it, but like, give me a reason that people that are listening should like bother to watch this anymore. I mean, it kind of feels like we're at a place with men's racing right now, particularly without the Norwegians, like where we were with women's racing, like 
you know, two or three years ago where like it just would be like, you, it's, why bother to watch like Bjorgen or Johag's going to win and everyone else is going to be two minutes behind them. And I agree uh, with you. I yeah. agree. Jason? Well, let me, yeah. So I'm just trying to pull this up and go into the site fasterskeeter.com. And I want to qualify my statement. So, yes, no throwing under the bus. I, I did write that. And part of it, it's the function. This is a pursuit, right? And off the top of my head, I think uh, Bolshinov had a, a minute lead. Is that right? What was his lead something today? Like, or 25 like seconds? That. 25 seconds, maybe. Um, but he had a big lead. And I, I was like, there's no way this guy is going to get caught, you know, unless he wants to get caught, which he wouldn't do. Um, so, yeah, it's tough. I, I, I don't know what to say. Like for me, getting fired up to watch a pursuit when an athlete like uh, Bolshinov has such a, a lead is a tough sell. Mass start, it's a much easier sell because it's like, when is he going to take charge of the race and blow it apart? I want to see that moment. So, yeah, I'm not sure I'm answering your question, but I don't have an answer for kind of trying to sell listeners, viewers on like, hey, you should tune in and watch a race like this. For sure, it is it is difficult, no question. But the, the thing is, the important thing, I guess, is if if you're a real ski fan and you want to see just some amazing skiing and an amazing way to to solve a course, I mean, seeing the best gears in the world hammer over the tops of the hills come out of corners just mocking uh, today was a great display of that i mean bolshinov was skiing just <laughs> it was textbook skiing used skiing so totally russian style and just charging the whole time comes away with just absolutely decimating the field he, he wins by 53 seconds um maltsev though you know also too like some of these other guys that that are on the podium every once in a while but like maltsev like you got to tip your hat to him he had a great he had a great day today to get back on the podium and then Magnifica, who has had some reels, has been on the struggle bus this year. The whole French team, if, if you want to sing some praises in this tour to ski, yeah, and we, no when we talked about this, Jason, with the, with the altitude, the French yeah. always show up at altitude, and Val Mustaire's high altitude, and they were all over the top 15 again today. And Magnifica climbs back on the podium with a really strong third-place finish in the pursuit, and he looked great today. Spits off, of course, Yakamushkin, like we've talked about so many times. You're just going to see all these Russians all over the top 10 this entire tour. But Magnifica really stood out for me. And then the next thing that stood out, maybe Daphne can give us an email on this too, but like the German men's program, if I'm, if I'm talking yeah. like, if I'm throwing some shade on the Swedish men's program, because I expect them to be on the podium every second or every third weekend, uh, I will also throw some shade on like the Germans men prog men's program, especially in a year where they have a home world championships what in tarnation is happening over there in Germany from the men's side? This is a crisis because they, they are, this is, this is unacceptable skiing by some of these guys. And, and, and they have some guys on their squad that have raced into the top 10 before and have raced in the top 15, most certainly. And I don't know what, what, ha what has happened. I mean, they're coming to these big races here and they're just nowhere near where they, where they need to be. And I can only hope that, their coaching staff and their pro and their programming has everything tailored to the world championships at home. And we'll see some better racing out of them when the world's come around. Cause this is, this is embarrassing. So can I, can I ask yeah. another question here, which is, uh, you know, I'm curious, um, Devin, from your standpoint in, in Scandinavia, like, um, I mean, how, how much, I mean, does it feel like, Norway is anyone in Norway, like paying attention to the tour to ski? Like, I mean, I'm kind of like, 
I mean, it just, I mean, you guys have talked about this in the past couple of days, but it's like, you know, the men's race just feels like a total fate accompli at this point. And I, I'm just like, I mean, it feels like, I mean, if you're fist, like, is this a, is this a problem? Are people like, I'd love to see like the Nielsen ratings, whatever they call them in Europe. Like, are people just going to bail on watching men skiing at this point, um, you know, for the next week? Because I mean, I, you know, I mean, I agree with you. I, I think if you're a ski fan, like there, the, the race for, I mean, maybe not second place, but third place today, like it was pretty awesome to watch, but like, um, I don't know if I was, I think it's Pierre Minuri, who's like the, the fist dude in charge of running kind of the competitions. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I think I would be a little concerned. Yeah. But they should have been concerned so long ago. I mean, like, honestly, Fist has just dropped the ball completely with this whole pandemic and this whole pro with this whole product. And they should know better than anyone in the men's side of things. The last few years, it's been Russia versus Norway. And you know what? I'm Canadian, right? So like Russia, uh, sorry, Russia versus Canada and hockey, back in the days, like this is the biggest rivalry going and we were the best hockey nations in the world at that point. And it was just the clash of the Titans, but it was fun. Cause you had that big rivalry last year. There is that big rivalry, Bolshinov versus Klebo, like the Russian team versus the Norwegian team, even though it does get kind of boring that there's only two nations battling it out. It's still like you, there's some excitement, but when, when the Norwegian team doesn't show up on the men's side of things, like it, it, it's over. I mean, Russia is the best nation in the world right now in men's skiing with Norway missing. And it, and they're just, they're just putting a clinic. They're putting on a clinic out there. Like no one can come close. Well, they did, they did add those uh, like whoop de doos those little like, you know, gems <laughs> at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> that was pretty sweet. That was sweet. Yeah. So I, I, you raise a really good point, Devin, in terms of like why watch. I, I think actually now that, you know, you caught my attention. I think a lot of times, like I want to watch, a distance race with a Yohog or when Bjorgen was racing because they're way off the front, but there's the aesthetic of watching them ski. That's just like beautiful. So same on the guy's side, right? There, there oh, are yeah. these moments like from a production standpoint, it's like, right. You see Bolshin off, off the front, you know, he's going to be off the front, but just watching him ski and ski powerfully is, is a selling point to watch the product. Now I, I will say, I feel like Valmy stare that venue plays to that it's beautiful they have these wide open shots you can see like the solitary skier from from quite a distance contrast that with a davos where they have like three or four camera angles at best oh, and they're God. in a dense forest going up oh, the yeah. side of a valley and it's a oh, it's horrible, the worst worst production yeah, like, on, where on, is everybody? On it's the worst production in the world cup by far sure. it's, a, it's a disaster so i do think they've they did a good job with the production value in uh here for these three races. And I have one more comment. Last thing about the guys race. So I thought this was a, a, a kind of an interesting point raised yesterday, just like on our Slack channel here at faster skier. Uh, I, I'm not on Strava. I'm not like, you know, following that, that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm not super slow, but I'm certainly not super fast, but I don't need to record anything. That said, uh, someone posted a, a Strava file from Simi Hamilton from his race, I think in the, uh, in the mass start. And I should pull this up, but there was a, a, a comment along with it from Simi, something like, you know, Fist should get rid of these five minute climbs. It's killing the sport. Um, and so I go back and forth on that. Like, again, I, I sort of like those hypnotic images. I kind of love watching a skier or a cyclist for that matter, you know, on a long climb. What's their form look like? How steep is it? 
how, how do I relate to it? Um, but is the course, you know, what it's essentially like we've had uh, the past two distance races where it's a long climb and then kind of a sinuous descent. Does that kill the sport, Devin? No, I mean, God, absolutely not. Also, Valmuschter is an easy course. Wah, wah. I mean, that course is, is so easy. I mean, you don't have any big walls. The, the, the climb, yeah, it's like 1.25 kilometers up a valley. Give me a break. I mean, that's not hard. You want a hard course, go to Sochi. You know, that's the hardest course ever created. And then you want a, the hardest course in the current World Cup. I mean, it's Lillehammer, hands down. Uh, you have a climb in there that's like four and a half minutes in the back. And and I'm with you, Jason. I mean, like this is cross-country skiing, man. Like go ski some old school courses. Like used to be called the Rec 15 or the Special 15 in Camor that were the 88 Olympic trails were. I mean, those courses were beasts. You're talking, we're complaining about five minute climbs. Like here in Lillehammer, you have the 94 Olympic courses that they groom, which are just so much fun to ski on. And I mean, five minute climb, like, forget it, man. We're talking like eight minute beasts, you know, but like maybe sneaking it's not through a good, the woods. Maybe it's just not a good product though. I mean, I mean again, uh, I should clarify with him. Like, yeah, but Nordic skiing, but, but, but Nordic skiing, Nordic skiing isn't, isn't really a good product anyway. Like I like it cause I love the sport, but I mean, you have to admit, like we have shorter and shorter attention spans yeah. trying to compete against biathlon, which has their, which has their ducks in a row with the production quality of like one production company that, that does all the races so that there you have some continuity and, and fist, like every single venue is on their own to produce it. You have, like you said, some, the Davos production company for the distance races are filming it on their iPhones or not even like on their like Huawei. Yeah. It's more just the course itself. And then, yeah. and then, and then, and then going to be pissed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, she, no, she, she, she's done. She got out of it. Okay. She, when, when Griezmann dropped uh, Huawei, that was it for Teresa too. So, uh, um, but, but I'm just saying, and then you have like Holman Colon that has like cable cams all over the place and make it look super exciting. So, so, you know what, FIS really, if they want to make the sport more exciting, I think they could really do a lot by just like tightening up the production. Cause it's not a scheme can be exciting. You just have to film it properly. It's not a GIF friendly production value right now, unless you can get, um, Trevakin and Belov to like pull something like yeah. that every, every race. Like, that was true. a great moment. Yeah, Devin, how long does it take to get to the top of the Holman Colon course? Oh, that is a beast. Oh, the Holman Colon. The Holman I mean, it takes Colon. me like my 25 oh minutes. Oh my God. It's a, it's a person. beast, no, man. Like going up to Frognosetra is, yeah. is like that is just, and you know what? That's the best course in the World Cup. It has history and it's exciting. Fans care. It's filmed properly. And like you said, Jason, you see guys coming undone and, and it's it's just there's no better course. So, and cross country skiing is meant to be hard. It is. I mean, that's, that's our sport. So toughen up, train harder and get in that pack and make it rain. So at the risk of belaboring the discussion about the men's race a little bit, um, I, I have a question that I've been kind of really interested to hear your answer to Devin. It's been kind of bugging me for a long time. I mean, you know, I think like when we watch the Russians, ski uh, you know with their history over the past you know decade or whatever 40 years since the um, USSR days like anytime we're seeing a, a really strong performance by Russian athletes I mean I, I think it sort of comes with a little bit of an undercurrent of suspicion um, I'm curious sort of what your sense is I mean you know through like maybe your like you know teammate 
folks that are still racing or your kind of Scandinavian gossip uh, circles, like what what is the sense out there of like how much we can trust what we're seeing from Bolshunov, like any more or less than we can from any other Russian? Like, do we have a sense of like who he trains with? Like, I mean, he seems like um, he's a guy that is like he has a little more of like a social media presence. He seems maybe like he's friendly with um, some of the English speakers on the circuit, but I, I, I'm just sort of curious, like, you know, if there's anything unique to Bolshunov that we actually know about him facts wise that, you know, would help us either trust his, his results a little bit more or provide sort of a valid reason for being suspicious. Devin, tell I mean, us about his it, coach too. Yeah. Well that, that, <laughs> yeah, but th- that's what I was just about to go into. I mean, that's, what's tough. I mean, because he skis beautifully he's in a Russian style, right? Like it's not for everyone, you know, the Russian style of skiing isn't for everyone, but the angles are good. And he's putting a lot of power into that. And he's just skiing really long. Um, he trains really hard. He's like you said, like he is a, he is a huge champion. And, um, you know, you have, like I keep saying, and I mean, I get some flack for it, but like, we got it. People have to be innocent till proven guilty. Right. Like, or else, or else what's the point? What are we doing? You know? You know, so that's, that's, that's a challenge. Um, but my, my big qualm and the qualm I hear over here in Scandinavia and, and also back in North America is the, the, the sad thing is, is like, I wish Bolshunov didn't have Borodovko as his coach because Borodovko is one of the, well, he is the dirtiest coach in active skiing today. And I don't understand why programs keep someone like that around with such a troubled history. History that makes you say that? Borodovko? Because so many athletes that he's coached have been busted for doping. (laughs) So that's Which ones? Oh, God. The, the, like, we got to go way back in, like, the, he was the one, Borodovko was the one that brought up a Dementiev through the junior program back in those days and all the guys surrounding that. So you have, you have like a whole number of athletes that came through that program. And then when that whole thing blew up, Borodovko kind of went into the shadows and he got quote unquote fired, but he didn't get fired, but he, but he was not coaching the Russian national team anymore. And instead coaching, coaching a club, uh, till it blew over. And then guess what he did? He got Legkov too, of course, Legkov, uh, Dementiev, like in the, in their junior days. And when they came on to the senior ranks, um, all those guys back in there, those guys, man, I can't believe I forgot his name. Cause he, he won a race in Camor. His last name is starts with a P he got caught at the border with Russia with like a whole other story in Switzerland, because there's a great story. There's a border guard in Switzerland. who was a cross country skier and recognized him and searched his car. And he had a whole bunch of syringes and EPO back there. Uh, man, what's his name? Anyway, that was a border of co-athlete too. So I am, so there's just like a whole bunch of athletes and then he got kind of like pushed to uh, pushed Pankratov. out quietly. Pankratov, thank you. Yes, Pankratov. Um, so so you have you have, and that's just three. I mean, there's plenty more. <laughs> but um, and he got kind of pushed out into the shadows. Was training a group in Hentemansisk, and then and then all of a sudden comes back in the fray as a junior coach again, just like he did back in the days with uh, with the Dementiev um, Dementiev Legkov uh, Pankratov crop of athletes when he was the junior team coach then and next thing you know he builds up this program that goes one two three four at world juniors often 
and all those guys like the Chervotkins, the, the Bolshunovs, the, all those guys, they, they start making waves and, and he follows them and then just follows them right back onto the senior team. Exactly. Like he did um, back in the days. And, and this is a problem because because when programs don't have a hard line with that, it makes fans like me and you question beautiful performances. And that sucks because Bolshinov trains his ass off. He skis beautifully. He's the best skier in the world. No question right now. He, he just is. And we don't question Claybo when he is dancing away from everybody. Like they're like, they're nobodies. Um, and we shouldn't have to do that with a, with a great athlete like Bolshinov either, but, when programs, when Velbe and, and the and the system decide to keep around coaches with not just like a little bit of a spotty past or like, oof, it's a little sketchy, but like blatantly one of the dirtiest coaches the last 20 years coming out of Russia. I don't understand why we keep him in the sport. I just don't get it. It's not like he's testing skis, you know, the guy's like in his sixties or something. I don't know how old he is. He looks old though. And like, he's not doing anything. He's not massaging anyone or like, uh, you know, uh, doing physio or like test helping to test the skis or help the techs out in any way. He's just standing on the side of the course yelling. I mean, you don't think you could find other guys. I mean, cause they are doing that with younger athletes. Like Igor Sorin is another young coach, uh, for the Russian program. And, and he's, you know, he's of a different generation. You got to hope that he's um, doing things a little differently. So there are, there are younger, there are younger coaches out there. So that, that you could give a chance to, instead of bringing Bodadovko back in. So that's what I'll leave it at that. But I, I, I honestly, when I see, when I see, um, when I see Bolshinov in the way he skis out there, I mean, like I can't help, but just enjoy how, how beautiful he, he does it. I mean, he's, 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 he's skiing beautifully out there. Yeah, and he is the best skier in the world right now. So it, it is what it is. Okay. Um, people should read the Rodchenkov Act. Uh, I'm sorry. Gosh, what is the name of the book? Anyone? Uh, the, it's the Rodchenkov book. About, I forget. It came out. I haven't read ago. it yet. Have you read that now? I haven't read it. I have not. The Rodchenkov Affair. Uh, Rodchenkov Affair. Yeah, Affair. Yeah, it's quite good. Quite good. And... Uh, you know, listeners should should try and get a copy of that, just in the sense that it helps frame culturally what was going on for a, a very long time in the Soviet Union and in Russia, just in terms of the pressures on all athletes, you know, semi-amateur, semi-pro and pro to uh, supplement themselves to, you know, do dope essentially, to make it. So anyway, just what struck me most in that book was just how pervasive it was down to much lower levels than just the top. Um, anyhow. Yeah. But one last thing with, with, with Bolshunov is like, I know it's not the answer you, you wanted, <laughs> but like, I want to, I want to believe what I'm seeing is true because he, he is, he's a young athlete. He's exciting. And he's skiing at like just an insanely high level, but you know, I've been fooled before and I've been very disappointed before. And I, you know, uh, um, I don't trust the Russian system. That's for sure. But, um, you know, it, it, I, I don't know what to say, man. It's, it's just, a when you're a fan of a sport, right? Like it's, ugh, you can just get so disappointed and then you really want to turn it off. Then there's no point watching the men's racing right now or ever. If it's just Norway, who I believe is clean, 
uh, versus Russia, who I have struggled to believe is fully clean. Where I would I would actually say I don't believe for a second that all of the Russian men's athletes are clean. <laughs> that, that is completely baseless. <laughs> and I am no journalist. This is just some dude sitting on his couch, his opinion. But, um, you know, it's, it's just a tough situation. Okay. Women's uh, 10K skate pursuit today. Super exciting. Um, Nat, you want to set that up for us? Uh, I know you had a chance to watch it. Devin, you've watched it. Um, anybody? Anybody yeah, I want mean, to jump in and take this. I, I I watched it before I got out of bed this morning, um, and and it was, uh, I mean, it was an awesome race. I you know I I feel like, um, it, you know, not it, it, it's such a contrast to what we saw on the men's side. Uh, you know, there was there was real drama where we had you know Svan um, getting getting a, having the lead in the pursuit start um and then having this this basically immediate pack of three in uh um diggins brennan and carlson um in the chase group and um yeah i mean i i feel like Devin as the world cup racer probably would be better to sort of narrate what happened i mean my my i was a little i, I was kind of interested and in, i mean i i think it, it's clear like you know we're not talking about bike racing tactics where like, you know, it would be totally faux pas for, for Carlson to chase down her teammate Svan that's off the front. But I, I was interested in the way that it really seemed like the Americans let Carlson kind of drive the bus. Um, and you had basically Carlson chasing down her teammates. Svan. I mean, I, I don't know that that's unexpected, but, um, you know, just, I was just sort of super interested to see, to see that unfold. No, and that's the thing. I mean, cross country skiing isn't isn't cycling, and the cross country skiing on the women's field is for sure not men cycling on the Tour de France level. <laughs> but um, you know, Swan Swan had a, a, a stunning classic race, and has shown some distance chops this year as well. Um, but but being dangled out there alone in skating at altitude, I mean, the writing was on the wall. You have Rosie, who has been the best skier in the world this year other than i mean Perez is the best gear in the world and anyone that disagrees with that hasn't been watching skiing for the last few years <laughs> but but she's not there so so rosie has been the best skier in the world here um for those that have been racing actively and and good at skating of course jesse's a great skater when she's in shape all the time actually in skating she's super solid and so lynn Fawn was going to get swallowed up and and the fact of the matter is there's a lot of respect. People have a lot of respect for Frida Carlson. And, and is it hype? Like, no, it's not. I mean, she won Holman Cullen last year as a first year senior. Like she's for real. And um, especially any sort of climb, uh, I, it seems, it looks as though like the chasing down their teammate part, like that, the writing was on the wall. Like Svan wasn't going to stay away alone uh, out front. Svan isn't bullshit off in a, in a 10K skate. It's just not going to happen. She was going to get caught hundred percent. She knew it. Everyone knew it. So I think it was expected that, that, um, that Carlson could chase her down. I that was probably even discussed in the meeting the night before, like, you know, try your best, do what you can, but like Carlson's coming through and she wants to try and lead the tour after this, after this stage. Uh, I'm sure that was discussed. So, but, um, I, I thought it was an interesting tactics and she took a lot of flack here in the Scandinavian media. Frida Carlson was just drilling it and taking all the responsibility for all these loops and people are like, well, she raised stupid tactically and blah, blah, blah. But like, 
I don't think Diggins was joking around when she said like, I was on the rivet. Like I was, I was like dangling there and I, I wasn't sure I was going to make it. So I mean, she I, it, almost, it she like, almost did it. it. It looked like Rosie. I mean, it looked like Rosie was gritting her teeth from like the first lap. Basically. It didn't look like anyone was having a, a nice walk in the park out there. Right. Exactly. Frida was drilling it and, and it just didn't quite work, but you got to also understand one Frida's a young athlete. She's not a veteran. She hasn't been around for a long time. And two, she knows what her strengths are. She knows if she brings Rosie Brennan and Jesse Diggins in the shape they're in to the finish line, she knows how this finishes. She loses. <laughs> so her, her, her card to play is drop them. And she tried and she wasn't strong enough. And what happened happened. And that when you're going to have three people coming down, into the finish fairly close, not into the finish because this, they, they, you know, Rosie, like Jesse, Jesse should give Rosie a big thank you. Cause really it was Rosie that broke Frida and then Diggins attacked off Rosie with that just amazing attack to, to solidify the win. And like, let's talk about the grit of Jesse Diggins coming down. Like, I mean, it was like, never say die. Like she sprinted to that finish line. It is a tour. So every second counts, but it was an amazing descending again and just what a sprint finish to, to, to finish it off for the win. And, and now I think Rosie in second again, like I, I hope people understand like 32 years old, never been top five till this year. And now she's like top five, every race and on the podium all over the place. And what makes these races exciting for the women's side is that Finland is back and, and Sweden is back. And I mean, there was some great Russian athletes as well on the women's side. So like, you're only really missing the Norwegians. And so it is a very exciting race. And, and to answer an earlier question, Nat is like, people are following the, the tour, especially in the women's side because of, because of Frida Carlson. And, and we haven't even said like Ebba Anderson. I mean, this is the wheels have fallen off here. I mean, I'm shocked. I, I had her pegged as like her and her and Frida are going to like contend to win the tour de ski. I was calling that before the whole thing even started. And now, and now it's like, Ebba is not going to be anywhere close to winning the tour de ski. She's not going to be top five. I mean, it's over for her, um, especially for the podium. That's sad to see. So things aren't really working for her here, which is a huge surprise to me. Um, but, but Rosie and Jesse are, I mean, Jesse's leading the tour after three stages. It's amazing. And she's skiing so well. Um, but I mean, they're both, they're both really Rosie and Jesse are really dangerous now to, to win the tour to ski for sure. But I still stand by my statement that last stage is not a race. It's not a ski race. It's just some weird sideshow. And I mean, Frida's pretty darn good uphill i mean it's uphill running anyway and that doesn't always translate to herring boning up a alpine ski hill but it, it could yeah speaking of racing that's not like gif or twitter friendly that final climb is like Oof. right yeah it's a side show completely it's fun to watch people just come undone like me oh man no one's come undone on that climb like me before oh god so i think i think alex harvey had a i, I recall the one oh, yeah reported the tour to ski alex harvey had a pretty tough day oh he yeah had like a oh yeah physiological issue though that was like making it hard for him to do that still though even when he didn't even when he had that sorted out i mean his face would go white on raunchy days up there petter i mean it, we all look like garbage but babs man babs oh, Teneza, yeah. babs is the king of that climb man and he doesn't get tired he just just the bulldog just he doesn't give a shit. He just hammers up that thing. And then same with, same with like Kristen when she was in shape or Teresa every single year, Heidi too. Heidi Vang is really good on that final climb too. So there are some that are quite good. 
So here, here's something I want to throw out there. Um, and I, I was kind of perusing through some archives this morning, and I just could not find the article I was looking for. Jesse Diggins has been in the yellow bib at the tour as the leader of the tour before. I have that right, correct? Uh, 2019. She led. Okay. And the stage after that was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say they, they missed the wax. And I think you know, I recall talking to Matt Wickham about this, but they, you know, they missed the wax and she struggled. Um, but she only, I mean, she didn't lose a ton of time, but enough where she fell out of contention. And then I think had a, like you mentioned, Devin, a rough day in the 10 K classic in Val de Fiemme. So I just bring this up as boy, you know, there's a little bit of pressure on, on wax techs, coaches, uh, you know, her ski supplier, You've got a, a 10K classic pursuit coming up on uh, Tuesday, a 10K mass dart classic as the sixth stage and a women's uh, a classic sprint as the stage before the hill climb. So there's a lot of uh, high pressure waxing to happen. Oh, there is. There is for sure a lot of high pressure waxing, but I mean, also we have to remember that Diggins has been on the podium here in a distance classic race this year. So this is good. This, this, this looks good. She is in, she is in good shape, but I mean, I'm just going to run through some of her previous results in the 10 K classic mass start in 2020. They blew the wax. Uh, last year they blew the wax. Jesse ended up 17th. Um, in 2019, she ended up seventh, but she was just, she bled so much time that she raced herself out of contention. She had a great day in the 10 K classic in 2018, where she finished fourth, not that far. Was from- that a mat? What was that the, was mass uh, start? These are always mass start classics. Yeah, in okay. Belgium. Yeah, but then like 2016, 17th again, like way off the pack. Like I mean, the white whale for the team is is this 10k classic mass start in Val de Fiamme. It's a tough course, can be tricky waxing, like you say, but it's also Italy, so it also can be stable. So we'll have to wait and see. But I mean, you gotta you gotta like how Jesse's skiing. I mean, when you're on the podium in a distance mass start classic race here in Val Mustaire. Um, this bodes well. So there's no reason for anybody to be panicking. I mean, they should have things under control. And I bring this up less as like a Jesse thing and more as like, boy, it would be interesting to hear the discussion and the, you know, the dialogue amongst the wax techs about how they're problem solving the next three races. You know, they're checking the weather like the Diddy, (laughs) (laughs) you know. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm curious, Nat, you ran into a couple of skiers, it sounded like, this morning out of Kincaid. True? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I was out for a, a ski with a buddy, Nick Crawford, and uh, we were skiing along. It was pretty early for a Sunday. It was like 9 a.m. and still dark, and uh, we kind of came to a crossroads, and a couple blue jackets came by, and it was uh, Keegan Randall and, and Sadie Bjornsson. Um, so... They're, uh, they're training. I, I cannot attest. Uh, I, I don't think they were going level three because they didn't pull away f- from us that fast. And, um, you know, we're, we're definitely two over the hill, um, college ski racers for a, uh, you know, pretty, pretty non standout division three school. But, uh, yeah, we, we, um, I don't know. I mean, maybe this is a good time to talk about it. I mean, I think there was a, a question on like yeah. looking at these American women's results like, uh, you know, can we can we start talking about um, relay chances? And I mean, it looked like Haley Swerble had another 
really solid day Miller today. Day. I think like a seven, great day today. Set seventh time on the day. Um, yeah. we, we chatted with thirteenth. Uh, it was great. Yeah, so we chatted with Sadie a little bit in the parking lot, and um, you know, she's taking you know the first you know couple months of the season to I think just sort of stay home, soul nurture, and and you know get get some training in, and uh, you know, she she was. Uh, it was just really interesting. I mean, it, it just she seemed um, really just happy to be here, happy to be getting to ski a whole bunch, not sort of across the pond. And, um, you know, she, she's had a couple of races here in Anchorage, just local races. But, you know, with where, where she's just really blown the fields out of the water. And, you know, again, like we're not talking about um, Therese Yohag, but like some folks with. World Cup and Olympic experience like Rosie Frankowski, um, you know, who was an Olympic skier for the U.S. in 2018. Um, so, and you know, definitely well. between her and Swerble and and um, uh, Jesse Diggins and and Brennan, it's like there there there's depth and and talent, and uh, it definitely it seems to me like that'll be fun to watch. Oh, and you know what? I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a limb. But I think, <laughs> I think this year and next year, if you're a U.S. ski team fan, they've been so close at these championship relays before and always have just like the just miss out. But like if we're talking in two years after the Olympics is over and they don't have a medal in the women's relay, I will be, and I don't know what I'll do. We will have to think of something funny I can do because like I'm, I'm putting it right down there. Like they're good enough. They've been good enough for a long time. They've been good enough with a lot of different skiers, but they have never had the confidence they have now. And they're at they're at the they're at an amazing level. Like you have Diggins and you have Diggins and Rosie that are top five in the world, hands down, right now. And that that is a strong position to be in a relay. And we all know how good Sadie can go in a in a five K classic as well. When she's in shape, she's top five in the world too or top six, let's say, because you can't have three Americans in the top five in the world uh, for one distance. But like, um, so this is like, and Swerble has been skiing really well. So this is their strongest chance. These, these next two years is going to be really exciting and, and all, all the power and hats off to the, to the coaching staff there at USSA and the program they've built around the women and the women themselves. Because it, you know what, like, that's what people don't understand. Like it takes the athletes themselves to really pull together and want to work together and do it as a team. And they've done a good job of that on the women's side. And you're right. That is something that, that the American men have missed in the past, especially on the distance side. Uh, But I think it's coming. I really do because these young guys have that. So building a team like that, we can, we can sing the praises of the coaches and, and, and the program and everything, but, but you know what, it's the athletes themselves that, that decide to work together and, and want to do it as a team. And, and it's not lip service on the U S ski team right now. It's, it's really cool to see. Okay, let me let me just throw out some a couple things because you were in Seyfeld in 2019, right, Devin? For, yeah, I was. I was okay. working for Eurosport actually. I know that's when you were on my radar. I was like, I want to hear more from that guy, Devin. I'm just going to be. <laughs> that was like, mm, that guy is fun to listen to. Um, yeah. So, you know, would you have called, you know, but prior to the race that Stina Nielsen would take a yohog in the, yeah, in the I mean, four by five? Oh yeah, on that course, no question. If they're going to get the tag, Yohog was just going to river. Not on the course. You got to remember that two and a half k on the skating side in Seyfeld is dead flat. It's a joke. 
So, yeah, I don't I mean, Steen and Nielsen, it, it, no, but it was really flat and easy. And when they, when they get tagged together uh, after another, just amazing race by Kala again, God, Kala is a, just the yeah, champ of the relay. Oh my the, gosh. Yeah, the reason so I just, bring, yeah. Sorry. So, so, so I'm just saying like, um, like Teresa is the best gear in the world. No question. <laughs> no question. But if you're going to put her on 5k skate on like pretty much dead flat, there's a lot of girls that can beat her, you know? Okay, so let's make the presumption that, you know, Norway is going to pull it together in some capacity. Okay. Yeah, that's a solid assumption. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have blown it before. I think they blew it in Sochi. Is that right? Oh, they sure did. Yeah. So, so th- that's possible. So, so let's assume Norway pulls it together. I mean, Sweden, I mean, they've got a powerhouse team to kind of pull together, it seems like. Yeah, I'd um, say they're the favorite too. Norway and Sweden are the favorites. And I'm just going through here. I was just looking at the overall here for Russia. I mean, they, they you know, there's oh, at least three skiers right now. Right. I mean, they're solid as well. So it's not, it's interesting when I saw that email come through, I was like, yeah, that's right. Oh my gosh, it's, it's like real solid metal potential. And it is solid metal potential for the US. But that said, when I start really looking down and drilling down on other athletes and other countries, there's still hefty competition. Oh, no question. But I mean, you got to remember, like, we've never seen a Rosie Brennan like this, right? Not even close, not even anywhere in the same stratosphere as this. So Rosie Brennan has like, I mean, she's skiing like a woman possessed. So, and that bodes well for a relay team like that. Now they have three three powerhouses. I, I, interject with a quick question there i mean if you're if you're those athletes or if you're their coaches or just an american fan right now um devin how much are you worried about their ability to like kind of hold that shape through world championships to be perfectly honest after seeing how rosie was skiing in davos i was worried that she was going to be able to hold the shape into the tour because i'm like man is this just the peak of all peaks but it's not man rosie's just at a different level she is shown now she was fifth in ruka in the mini tour with the whole world there. And now she just, she's sitting second in the tour to ski, you know, that was in November. Now we're into January. So like seven weeks later, she's sitting second in the tour. We're like so, I mean, past so, like Thanksgiving Turkey fluke territory. Totally. Here. Totally. This isn't a Christmas star. Ro- uh, Rosie Brennan this year is not a Christmas star. I mean, like she, this is her level. She's just at a better level this year. I know what you're saying because it is shocking to see in some ways because Rosie is just skiing at a completely different level than she's ever been at, but, but it's happening and it's true and it's real. And this is, this bodes well, this bodes well going into the world championships for the relay. And I keep saying for the individual races, I'm sorry. Like you have a lot of top Norwegian athletes that just aren't there. And I mean, as good as these girls are skiing, Teresa Johug crushes these girls. That's, that's the facts. I'm sorry. In, 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 in an individual in an individual start in an individual race um that, that's just how it is Therese is like a generational skier and and internationally um and we're, you're gonna go to the world championships in in oberstorf there's some big hills out there in oberstorf i mean Therese is not going to show up there not in shape so um, but there's other medals for grabs and, and also two people can miss the skis. Oberstorf is just horrendous weather and can, a lot of the crazy things can happen. So, you know, we've, we've seen that before. You know, one time, we've seen, whoops, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say the one time I was there on the tour to ski, it was like, I feel like I, there was like two inches of rain in the course of a, like, you know, two hours of racing. And I yeah, just, that's Oberstorf. It's the worst. 
But when it's, but it's beautiful though. Like when it's sunny and nice, like the last time the world championships were there in 2005, I was there. And I mean, we had, I mean, the world championship schedule is always 10 days and, and there was nine beautiful days so that it can happen. I've, I've seen it, but it's rare. <laughs> okay. To close out Devin, you sent a photo, a lovely photo of your day. Yeah. Where yeah, you that? want to know where it is. Well, you know what? It's actually in that place I was trashing yesterday on the pod. Uh, we were we were in Jotunheim in, in a place called Leerdalm. Well, actually, we didn't start in Leerdalm, but we did a nice big loop um, and skied out Leerdalm, um, which is yeah, which is in Jotunheim in Jotunheim in Norway. It was uh, that was a beautiful day. Cold though, minus twenty when we started, minus twenty Celsius. But we had some nice powder and like the best turns I've ever had in Jotunheim. And so I might have to. You know what I think? I think like the the Norse gods, like Odin or or Tor or whatever, were hearing the the Faster Skier podcast yesterday, and we're going like, Jotunheimen's the best. It's Norwegian. Come on!" And then today, when I went there, all like low expectations, uh, they really delivered. So it's really, really just beautiful skiing. We got into some couple of really nice couloirs and and uh, had great snow in there, safe and 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 bone dry beautiful turns so oh it was it was beautiful so now i can buckle down and get back get back to the books tomorrow i've played a little too much and with the kids and and the family and and now i got one day of backcountry skiing that was great here and and now tomorrow the reality is going to really hurt so i should probably let you guys go myself and hit hit some sleep before the kids wake me up (laughs) yeah it's late there thanks for listening and hope everyone is enjoying the new year